0: Good to be with you guys tonight. I'm going to pray for us before we dismiss the Children for Children's Church. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, that is our prayer. God, is that your name would be honored, that your name would be exalted. God, in this service, through the preaching of your word, God, that your name would be honored in our, each of our hearts, in the hearts of our children. God, that your kingdom would come. God, and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for this particular community that you've placed us in. And God, we thank you that you promised that you are here with us. And God, that's special. Holy Spirit, would you come and give us ears to hear the Scriptures, give me your words to preach and proclaim, and may you build us up in the faith, God, may we honor you in all that we do, in Christ's name, amen. This time the children can be dismissed for Children's Church, I think it's ages 3 to 7. I know you guys have stood and sat a lot tonight, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. And it is a good chunk of Scripture, so you may be standing for a minute or two, okay? Genesis chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him to the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's stock and the herdsmen of Lot's stock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place from where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, your offspring could be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land. For I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the Oaks of Merah, which, he, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a very familiar story as Ben and I continue to teach through the life of Abraham. It's probably a story that you guys have heard many times. And uh, it's, a, it's a story that you are familiar with. It was August 1944 in Paris. The Allies had just swept in and the Germans were driven out. Almost. Lieutenant Commander Harry Lighthold stowed away in the quarters of Gabriel's palace. He knew it well and he had squirreled himself into a small room on the third floor. His plan was to sneak out once it turned night and escape. But as the afternoon furthered, the lieutenant heard the roar of the crowd outside, and so he peeked out the window from the third floor. There was a general, Charles de Gaulle, in an open motor cave, a black open motor cave, if that doesn't bring back some of the things of JFK. And the lieutenant thought, man, my last great act in this war war will be to take a general's life. So he opened the window, took careful aim with his machine gun, and before he could fire, the crowds broke rank and surrounded the car with cheers. The lieutenant thought, if I shoot into the crowd, they will surely find me and beat me to death. It's usually the things that we don't see in life that get us. The general had no idea he had been in the sights of a man who was about to take his life. It's not the things that we see that knock us off our horse. It's the things that we don't see in life. It's the things that we don't take note of in life. This particular passage, as we look at Genesis chapter 13 tonight, This passage is like a lighthouse to a ship saying, watch out for the rocks. Don't shipwreck your faith. It's like a wise man warning us not to build our house on the sand. See, Moses wrote this and took this down from the life of Abraham, and he knew the Israelites would soon be entering the land of Canaan. There'd be many opportunities to live by sight and not by faith. We live in a world of identity theft, right? I'm not talking about lifelock. I'm talking about as Christians, we live in a world system that's continually trying to rob us of our identity in Christ. It's continually and relentlessly trying to tell us who we are. Pressing and pulling on us as believers to lean and to trust in its economy. Pulling us to trust in its values. It's Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed. Do not be pressed into the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And God gives us a passage like this. Genesis chapter 13, He gives us this to remind us not to lose our identity. He gives us this to remind us to be diligent to remain pilgrims, be diligent to remain sojourners. This chapter is given specifically to the community of Israel to remind and encourage them to be diligent as they enter into a land of pagans, as they enter into a land where the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived. It's an encouragement to live upon the things that you don't see. To build your convictions and to root yourselves in the promises of God. To build your hopes and dreams on the unchanging character of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 sort of sums it up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will... Make your path straight. It's not that we should not have understanding and give thought to life, but we should never lean on our understanding. There's a big difference in leaning and trusting in what you see, trusting in what you know about life, certain that you have lived 50, 60, 70 years and you know, God says, that's dangerous. The question in this particular chapter is, are we going to follow in the footsteps of Abraham? We're going to follow in the footsteps of Lot. Are we going to trust in what the world tells us about stability and hope? What it tells us about happiness, what it tells us about raising children, what it tells us about marriage? Are we going to lean on what the world says about these things? Are we going to distrust the appearances and welcome the promises of God? Listen to Jeremiah 17, 5-9. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wasteland He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where there is no life. Think about Lot. As we we go through this passage, think about what that says. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes and its leaves are always green. It has no worry in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You know what the verse 9 says right after all that? It says, The heart is deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's easy for us in this world to put our hope in the economy of the world to put our hope in the things that the world says is important and one of the things that Ben and I want you guys to see as we walk through the life of Abraham is it's a war it was a battle it was a fight for Abraham sometimes Abraham would trust God and rest upon the promises of God like he did when he left his home and went to where the Lord had told him to go. And he wasn't there long, right? And there's a famine in the land and Abraham is relying upon himself and he runs down to Egypt. And it's this life of trusting God and failing to trust God. As even in this story we see that Abraham trusted the Lord Trust to the Lord with the promises of God. And it will not be too many chapters later, and Abraham will fail to trust God. And he will look to Hagar, his servant, to uphold God's promise. And there won't be too many chapters later that Abraham will trust the Lord and he gets Isaac, right? And that's our life, right? In isn't that our life? We we wanna we wanna pretend to one another in the world sometimes that we're just faith, 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 faith in the Lord. But no, we're trusting God sometimes and falling in our face, trusting in ourselves. But that is the life of the Christian. That is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. If that battle is going on in your life and heart, rejoice that you belong to the Lord. As we come to the storyline, Abraham and Lot have both become very wealthy. They've both become very wealthy in their time in Egypt. And it's a positive problem that they have. They're both so wealthy and they have so many cattle and so many things that the land won't support the both of them. There's not enough places for all their cattle and sheep to graze. Sometimes in life we'll be faced with positive problems and sometimes in life we'll be faced with negative problems. And it says that a dispute, a quarreling arises between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Disunity is always a sign of weakness, right? I bet Michael could tell you on his basketball teams a disunified team is a weak team. With Abraham and Lot in the land of Canaan, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites being present, it's not a good thing when you show weakness. It's a sign of not having a united front. It's a poor reflection of the Triune God. Do you know that that's one of the that's one of the greatest sins of the church is disunity. Because our disunity is a poor reflection of the Trinity. It's a poor reflection of the very essence of who God is. Ephesians 4, 1-5 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Whatever you do, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body... And there is one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So Abraham understands the importance of unity. He understands what it says about his God. And what I want you to see in verse 8, is it's Abraham that steps forward. And listen what Abraham says in, in verse 8. He says, Let not, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between our communities, for we are kinsmen or we are brothers. I think it's Psalms 133 that says how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in peace. You see, there was this quarreling and this fighting And Abraham, being the oldest, being the wisest, Abraham could have played the power card. Abraham could have said, hey, Lot, the only reason you're blessed is because you hang out with me. Right? I I am the one who received the promise. I am the called one. You've benefited from being friends with me. But he didn't do that. Abraham didn't do that. In fact, it reminds me of a story in Luke. In Luke chapter 22, verses 24. Listen to this. A dispute arose. How about that? Another dispute. A dispute arose among them talking about the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Think about this passage in light of Abraham. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or he who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you, Is one who serves. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing when you think about when Genesis was written and when Luke was written? Abraham, right? Could have played the power card, but he didn't. He trusted in God, he trusted in the promises of God. He pursued peace. He pursued unity. He lifted others up. He lifted Lot's needs up to be greater than his own. He died to himself. He humbles himself. He entrusts himself to God. He seeks peace at his own expense. Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Who does that point us to? It points us to Christ. It points us to Jesus, the one who was God, becomes flesh. You remember, we just studied that in Philippians. Jesus absorbs our cost, Jesus gives up his rights as the eldest brother. In the story of the prodigal, right? The elder brother did not want to give up any more of his stuff for the younger brother to be reunited. But Abraham points us to Christ and says, No, if God has given up his throne so that he might become one of us, so that he might absorb our cost, You know, as I read this and I thought about soon, we'll have elders and deacons. And I was thinking, I, I, hope, I hope we're the kind of church that doesn't select our leaders based on how well they do in the business world or how successful they are or how intelligent they are but I hope that we select men like Abraham who said, I'm willing to put everyone else before myself. Are we going to be that kind of church? A church that demands its rights or a church that dies to itself? A church that seeks peace and unity even when it might cost you? Maybe when it might cost you greatly. Abraham's humility. Lot, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go north, I'll go south. If you want the mountain, I'll take the valley. Man. Remember, it's Abraham who had received the promise from God. Think about that in light of the leaders that we have even in our own country and around the world today. The humility of Abraham. Sojourners have as their highest goal to honor God and to honor others. Honoring God, putting others first, dying to self, pursuing peace. And then we come to Lot in verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read it to you. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. But you know what? He didn't see. You know that's how we are a lot of times. We lift up our eyes and we see. But we really don't see. Lot had on the spectacles of the world. Abraham had on the spectacles of God's promises. Lot made his decision by looking at the economy of the world, and Abraham made his decision based on the character of God. Lot had bought into the political campaign slogan that we've heard so many times in our day, right? It's the economy, stupid, right? It's what almost every politician runs on. And Lot had bought into Lot saw, but he really didn't see. Mark 8.18 says, Do you have eyes and fail to see and ears and fail to hear? These people's hearts are calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Lot had seen, but he had not seen. I bet I can ask you to look back on your life at times where you thought you saw. But now as you're older, you realize, I didn't see very well then. We can hardly blame Lot, right? Security from the famine? Well, if I don't want to go back to Egypt, then I probably need to pick the Jordan, that lush valley with lots of water and greenery. I'm just thinking for the future of my family, right? I'm going to take this job promotion. I'm just really thinking about my family. I think this is what's best for my workers too. I'm going to take this contract because this is what's best for my workers. This is the place where we can build our business. How many times in a day do we make decisions based on what we can see? How many times in a day do we make decisions leaning on our own understanding? We fail to ask these questions. What's best for my marriage? Will this give me more time with my kids? How will this affect my personal worship? Will this allow me to be with the community each week and worship corporately with God's people? See, Lot, I don't think he thought about those things. I think Lot is a lot like us. But it's the things that Lot didn't see that would cost him greatly. It's the things that Lot failed to see that would cost him dearly. He saw the benefits, but he didn't see the dangers. He saw the physical wealth, but he didn't see the moral decay. reminds me of an accident I had right before I was married to Leanne. I had a motorcycle, and I'd driven it home to see my brother, and we'd gone over to see a friend, and on the way home, there'd been a lot of deer out. It was sort of the fall of the year, and he says, I'll drive in front of you, and if I see a deer, I'll pumped my brakes a few times, just let you know to slow down. And I said, all right, I said, that's good. So we get about a mile from my parents' house, and I'm driving, and a white cat runs across the road in front of me, and my eyes follow the cat, and when I look back, there's a hundred-pound dog. I hit the dog and slid down the road on my head and flipped a few times. My motorcycle went off into the woods, and By God's grace, I wasn't killed. I would have if I hadn't had on a helmet. But right, it's always the things that we don't see that get us. It's always the things that we don't observe that get us. If you fast forward to Genesis chapter 19, two angels find Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom. And that should bring our minds to Psalms chapter 1, right? Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of sinners or stand in the way of mockers. He doesn't sit with those in the gate. The angels find Lot sitting in the seat of scoffers. In verse 14 of chapter 19, Lot goes to his son-in-laws and he says, Listen, God's going to destroy this place. Get out. And his son-in-laws think that he's kidding. So Lot would lose his son-in-laws. Lot would lose his wife. Lot would lose everything he had except for his daughters. When you live by the economy of the world, in the end you lose everything. Lot had escaped through the flames. Everything had been burned up, but he had escaped. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 11-15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones and wood and hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. And if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. If you've ever wondered what that verse means, it's what happened to Lot. Lot was saved, but most everything that he had was burned up. But the thing that is interesting, in verse 19 and 29, listen at this. This is where the gospel... So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, listen to this, He remembered Abraham, and He brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Do you realize that's the gospel? Do you realize that? That one day you will stand before God, and you will be brought out of the destruction of God's wrath, Because God remembers Jesus. Because God remembers Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. God had remembered the promise that He had given Abraham. And He brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Verse 14 and 17 says this, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him. Lift up your eyes from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Church, I want you to know that the man of faith, the sojourner, will never be disappointed or shortchanged in the end. Mark 10 talks about in this present age a hundred times as much and in the age to come, eternal life. Do we make decisions like Abraham? Abraham? Do we make decisions like Lot? And the answer to that question is yes, right? Because we're struggling to remain sojourners. God told him to go, told Abraham to go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land that I'm going to give you. You know what that is? God's giving Abraham a foretaste of what's to come. You see, the Hittite and the Egyptian kings, sometimes they would do these ceremonial walkarounds, where they would walk around a field and basically say, this is my field, or this is my land. They would walk around the land and say, this is what I've conquered, this is mine. And God tells Abraham to go do his walkabout. And Abraham, as you do this walkabout around the land, it's a foretaste. That I'm going to give you all of this one day. You know that God gives us a foretaste. You know what? that's what this table is all about when we come to it tonight. It's just a foretaste of what God is going to give us in the future. And Matthew says, Many will come from the east and the west, and they'll take their place at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is not that feast. This is a foretaste of that feast. We live in a world in such a we should live in the world in such a way that shows the supreme worth of God. And the way that we do that is not by leaning on man's economy. The way that we do that is not by leaning on our own understanding. But the way that we do that is that we make our decisions in this world based on the promises and the character of God. Please pray that we're a church that leans and rests on the promises of God. Pray that we'll be a church that will encourage one another And challenge one another and say, do you really see? Do you think that's really best for you and your family? Do you think that's really best for your relationship with God? But may we be a church who is willing to give up everything in order to love one another well. That we be a church that when disunity arises, that we'll be the first to come forward like Abraham and say, Hey, look, if you go left, I'll go right. And if you go right, I'll go left. If you want to sing this kind of music, that's fine. We'll sing this kind of music. If you want to sing that kind of music, we'll sing that kind of music. If you want the walls painted, does it really matter? Christ gave up everything in order to bring peace to us. And lastly, as we close, it says this, verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks, came and settled by the oaks at Mer, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Do we find privilege in the fact that we can worship God? Do we find privilege in the fact that we get to come every week and worship God? That we get to come every week and enjoy the body of Christ? In just those few short chapters, the ones in the verses that we've already preached on, I think it's four different times Abraham builds an altar where he worships. May we be a church that continually lifts up God, that continually lifts up one another and seeks the peace and purity of the church. Let's pray.